Today's scripture reading will come from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. Again, that will be Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. If you have a copy, um, the Red Pew Bible, it's on page 1005, page 1005. And it reads, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their, on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. When we really want to communicate something and make an impact, we use contrast. When the weatherman wants you to know it's been a hot year, he doesn't just say it's really hot outside. He says, this is the hottest year on record. I like to go to the Houston Museum of Nature and Science. Maybe you've been there. In that museum, there is a room called the Hall of Gems and Minerals. And if you walk into that room, it's very dark so that there's contrast. And you look at all the precious gems and minerals that they have on display. It's like reading Revelation 21 and its description of heaven. There is amethyst and topaz and emerald and crystal and gold. And you can look at these minerals and you can look at these gems and they are all set against a black backdrop. Why do they do that? Because the contrast helps you to see the detail and it helps you to appreciate the beauty even more and it helps you to understand the value of what you're seeing. When you read the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the precious gem. And the book of Hebrews is a book of contrasts. Jesus is set next to, he's in contrast to everything else that has ever been significant in God's will, in God's plan. And so the Hebrews writer puts Jesus next to prophets and angels, for example, in chapter one. And look how much greater Jesus is. He's set next to Moses in chapter three. Look how much greater Jesus is than Moses. The contrast of Jesus' priesthood with the priesthood of Aaron as you read chapters five through seven. And then when you get to Hebrews chapter eight, it's not just about who Jesus is that helps us to appreciate as we see the contrast, the details and the value of Jesus. It's not just who he is, it's what he's done. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. If you haven't already opened your Bibles there this morning, that's where our study will come from. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. Jesus has established, he has created a new covenant. Not like the old covenant, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9, but a new covenant. And by seeing the contrast between the old and the new, what Jesus has brought to our lives, it is like seeing... God's love for us in a brand new way. 
The Hebrews writer wants us to appreciate the value and to understand the beauty of what's been done by Jesus and the cross. And the new covenant is the result of that. Look briefly, if you would, with me at Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 12. This morning, I want you to notice a couple of things about the passage. In the first place, it is a quotation of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It is the longest single quotation of an Old Testament passage anywhere in the New. So you can't find a longer Old Testament quotation than this one. I want you to notice, secondly, as you look at the passage, it's all about God and what God has done through Christ. Four times your Bible will say, says the Lord or declares the Lord. God is the one who's speaking in this passage, Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 12. But not only that, God is the subject of almost all of this. He uses pronouns like I, me, my, my people. He uses references to himself no less than 17 times in five verses. It's about God and what he's done in bringing a new covenant, a new kind of relationship to us. When we see contrast, when we see those beautiful gems, those precious treasures set against a dark backdrop, it helps us to understand and appreciate even more the value of those things. And when we see Jesus and we see the new covenant that he's created in contrast like this, it helps us to appreciate the value of what it means to be a New Testament, a New Covenant Christian. With that in mind this morning, I'd like for us to notice four distinctive characteristics of the New Covenant. Let's read the passage together, Hebrews 8, beginning in verse 8. The scripture says, God finds fault with them when he says, behold, the day is coming declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, verse nine, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I, verse 12, will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Contrast number one, the law. As you look at the new covenant, I want you to notice it is a law. Look again at verse 10. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. You see that? The difference is the old law and the new law. That's the contrast. There was an old law that God made with Israel back in an old covenant God made with Israel back in the days when they were still strangers in Egypt. God mentions that in Hebrews chapter eight, verse nine. And the new covenant is not like that one. It's not like the law that I made, the covenant that I made with them in the days when their fathers were being led by the hand by me out of Egypt. Rather, this is a new covenant. So as we think about the distinguishing characteristics of the new covenant, I want you to notice first, it is a law. 
You know, sometimes people are focused so much on grace and so much on the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. And those are all emphases that the New Testament makes that we sometimes kind of forget that the New Testament, the new covenant is also a law. But when you look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write my laws on their hearts. Four observations about that. Number one, the new covenant is a law in and of itself. God has given us standards and commandments and rules by which he wants us to live our lives. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And again, if anyone says, I know God and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar. First John chapter two, verses three and four. It is a law, but not only that, it is a non-negotiable law. When you think about the new covenant, it's non-negotiable. We don't come to God as if we have some kind of power at the bargaining table and we don't sit down as a religious body and vote on whether we're going to do what God has commanded us to do. We don't raise our hands and say, yes, I'll do that. But no, I think these, these other commandments that he's given us are out of date or they're out of sync with the culture. That's not the way we treat the commandments of God. The new covenant, it is a beautiful thing, but it's still a law and it's non-negotiable. Do not add to, do not take away from the words that God has given you. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse two. That's the old law, the old covenant, but the same principle applies to the new. We cannot and we must not change the terms and the commandments of the gospel. Galatians chapter one, verses six through eight. In the third place, as you think about the new covenant being law, it is a new law. It's different from the old. Friends, the Bible makes a contrast between the first 39 books of your Bible and the last 27. The first 39 are what we call the Old Testament. It is the old law. And the last 27 books of your Bible are the New Testament. It is a new law that God has brought to us. Therefore, we must not go back and look for religious authority in the old law. That has been done away. That has been taken away. It's been made obsolete, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 would say. And so we don't go back and ask, well, what did David do when he worshiped to answer questions about how God wants us under the new covenant to worship? It's a new law. And number four, as you think about the new covenant being a law, look at what it says in verse 10. I will put my laws into their minds. That's the nature of the new covenant. I will write it on their hearts. What's new about the new covenant? Everybody, everybody wants to do this law. Everybody has this law written on their hearts. When I come to work in the mornings, I always come down Fifth Street or almost always. Fifth Street's right out here if you don't know. The speed limit on Fifth Street is 30 miles an hour. Maybe you didn't know that either. <laughs> I have written on my heart, when I get into the Katy City limits, the speed limit out there is 30 miles an hour. It's written on my heart. And if I'm driving and I happen to look down and my speedometer is greater than 30, I, I let my foot off the gas a little bit. I try because the law is written on my heart. It's not just on a sign. It's something that I know and I remember. 
and I try to drive the speed limit. There are other people, usually in the morning, it's not infrequent that some impatient driver will zoom around me and fly down Fifth Street. Happens a lot. Now, maybe they know that the law is 30 miles an hour, but the law in that sense is not written on their hearts because three things are necessary. If God's law is going to be written on our hearts, three things are necessary. You must accept it, number one. You must agree with it, number two. And you must do it, number three. Accept, agree, and do. And God is saying the new law is going to be unique in this regard. Everybody who's part of the new covenant accepts and agrees and does what I command them to do. The law is put into their minds and it's written on their hearts. It's a beautiful covenant that God has given us. And when in our lives as Christians, we look down and we think, I'm going faster than what God wants me to travel. I am doing something that God has said is sinful. The new law, having been written on our hearts and minds, means that we take our foot off the gas. We put our foot on the brake. I agree with God's command. I agree with his will. I will do what he says. The new covenant is a law, brothers and sisters and friends. But not only that, second this morning, the new covenant involves a people. It involves a people. Look again in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10 and notice what it tells us. I'm going to put my laws into their minds. I'm going to write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Here's the contrast. Listen. The old law was a covenant that God made with a nation. He made that law, he made that covenant with a nation of people. The new covenant, the new law, is a covenant that God makes with individuals. And that's a huge distinction. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God said, I will be your God and you can be my people. And all the people rose up with unison in, in their voices and said, all that the Lord says we will do. And God was making a covenant with them, with a nation. But you see, God prophesies in Jeremiah 900 years after that. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And the reason why is, look at verse 10 again. They did not continue in my covenant. They didn't keep, the nation didn't keep my old law. And I'm gonna make a new law with them. Notice who God wants to make the covenant with. If you're reading the passage, verses eight and nine, I'm going to make a new covenant, verse eight, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You see that? And again, verse 10, in those days, after those days, I'm gonna make a new covenant with the house of Israel. You know, sometimes people ask the question, does God still have a purpose today in the nation of Israel, at least the way that he used to? Is God still doing things with the nation of Israel that, the, the way he used to in, in the times of the, of the book of Exodus, for example? This passage answers that question with a resounding no. Here is why. Because that old covenant was made with the nation and God says in verse 10, they did not keep my commandments. Verse 9, verse 10. They didn't listen to me. And therefore I decided to make a new covenant with them, not as a nation now, but as individuals. And what God wants from people, 
What he wants from people who are physically descended from Abraham is for them to believe and to embrace and to trust in Jesus Christ and to be saved. It's not an old national covenant. It's a new individual covenant that he makes with all of us. And here's the thing. God wants for the Israelites to do that. You find passages like this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. God wants those who are of the Jewish faith to receive Jesus, to agree with what he says and do what he says. That's the new covenant. Or you have Paul saying in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, I wish that I could be lost so that my Jewish brethren in the flesh could be saved. He says in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. Who are the people of God now? It's not about a national covenant. It's about a covenant that God makes with individuals. And the neat thing about that is, it's not just Jews who can be a part of the new covenant. Are you listening? Anyone, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, anyone who desires to come to Jesus and to have a relationship with God under the new covenant can do so. Isaiah prophesied about that in Isaiah chapter two, verses one through four. He said, the days are coming when all nations shall come to Mount Zion and all of them shall be taught by the Lord and all of them shall know him. Galatians chapter three, verses 28 and 29 tell us that if we are Christ's, we are Abraham's seed and we are heirs according to the gospel, the promise. Under the new covenant, brothers and sisters and friends, the people of God, it's not physical Israel as a nation. Under the new covenant, the people of God are all those who have trusted and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are the people of God today? Hebrews 8 verse 10 would indicate the people of God today are the church. Those that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, Acts 20 verse 28. And anyone who will can come and be a part of that covenant, the people. Third this morning, as you look at this passage, Hebrews chapter 8, look at verse 11. Let's talk about the knowledge that people under the new covenant have. The new covenant, it's knowledge. The law, the people, and now what they know. The passage says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Here's the contrast. Under the old law, under the Old Testament, first you were born and then you had to be taught. The only thing you had to do to be a part of the old covenant was be born from the right parents, from the right genealogy. If your parents were both descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you were born from those parents, you were by definition part of that covenant. First you were born, then you had to be taught. Under the new covenant, first you are taught, and then you must be born. The Bible describes baptism as a new birth, John chapter three, verse five. First, someone must be taught the gospel, then they must be born again. 
That's why Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of every nation, teaching them, baptizing them, and then teaching them some more. Christianity is about being taught. So the old covenant, first you're born, then you're taught. New covenant, first you're taught, then you're born. And notice what the passage says in verse 11. None of them have to say to each other, know the Lord, because they shall all know me. In the days of Josiah the king, in 2 Kings chapter 22, you remember little King Josiah, he was a little boy, and they had lost the book of the law. They had lost the Bible. And they went into the temple and they found in a dusty back room a copy of the scrolls of the Old Testament, the old law. And Josiah and the people, they started to read for the first time in years. Were they part of the covenant? Yeah, they were part of the covenant. But now they're realizing what they've done and how they've lived and how they've displeased God. That's the way it was under the old covenant. And they had to be taught again and again and again to know the Lord. But by definition, someone who is part of the new covenant knows God. Many years ago, my family went to Comic Con in Dallas, long time ago. Some of you are chuckling, you know what Comic Con is. It is a gathering of people who love comic books and especially at this one, they loved Star Wars, the movie Star Wars. I found myself walking around that convention People were walking around dressed like Mandalorians before anybody knew how cool it was to be a Mandalorian. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, good for you. <laughs> Here's what you don't do at a Comic-Con Star Wars convention. You don't walk up to a man dressed like a Wookiee, if you don't know what that is, good for you. And you don't say to this man dressed like a Wookiee, hey, have you ever heard of Luke Skywalker? Do you know the plot of The Empire Strikes Back? This guy obviously knows the story. He obviously loves the story. He obviously wants to retell and to experience the story in all kinds of creative ways. And you don't walk around the convention saying to people, do you know what episode three is all about? Do you know how that ends? You don't walk, because everybody knows. Of course we know. You can walk up and say little catchphrases like, I've got a bad feeling about this. And everybody knows immediately that you are one of them. We speak the same language. We know the story. That's what the new covenant is like, brothers and sisters and friends. The new covenant is for people who know the story of Jesus. They know that he came and died for us and they know what he taught and they know what it means that he rose again and they know that what happened in Acts chapter two is what we ought to do as well when they said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. They know that that's how somebody becomes a Christian and you don't have to walk up to somebody and say, hey, do you know what Jesus did? Do you know what he taught? Because they all know. Now, just like at a Star Wars convention, just like some of the people, they might not have seen a detail or two here or there. They might not have understood that there were some, some deeper things that they missed as they watched the movie. By the way, those people, they watched the movie not just once, not just twice, but dozens and sometimes hundreds of times. They love the story. 
And so it is with the gospel. So it is with people who belong to Jesus. You don't walk up and say, well, you know, do you know everything? Well, no, I'm still learning. But I know the story and I know how it works. And I love the story and I want to be a part of it. That's what it's like to be a Christian, brothers and sisters and friends. There's always more to learn. But let me say this in all sincerity, those of you who teach and those of you who preach, when a man stands up to teach or to preach from God's word, you want to know what I want to hear more than anything else? I want to hear the story of Jesus and I want to hear how he loves me and how he died for me and how he rose again and he's promised to come again one day and to take all of us home to be with him forever. I want to hear that story. I've heard it thousands of times. I want to hear it again because we don't have to say to each other as Christians, know the Lord. It's a story we all know, but we want to hear it over and over and over again. That's what the new covenant is like. It's not like the old covenant where they lost the book in the temple and everybody forgot and everybody went and worshiped idols. That's not what this covenant's like. We know the Lord. We know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we want to walk with him. That's the knowledge of the new covenant. Now fourth, notice the grace of the new covenant. In Hebrews 8, verse 12, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Here's the contrast. Under the old law, sins and iniquities were remembered every year. Hebrews makes that point. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, for example. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 tells us that every year they had to sacrifice more lambs and more cattle in order to make atonement for sin. And every year it was brought up again, have to make a new sacrifice. But under the new covenant, that doesn't have to happen anymore. Under the new covenant, Jesus has made one sacrifice for all. And by making one sacrifice for all, there is no need for a sacrifice to be made over and over and over. Thus, there is no remembrance of sin. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. Their sins I will remember no more. That's grace. Grace and law are not mutually exclusive. God gives us his commandments, his laws that he wants to write on our hearts and our minds. He gives us those things to remind us when we sin, to show us what his will is. And then there is grace, there is mercy, there is forgiveness when we choose not to walk in his law and we decide that we're going to accept and agree and do his will again. There's grace. The Bible tells us, brothers and sisters, that when God forgives our sin, he takes our sins and he casts them into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter seven, verses 18 and 19. The Bible tells us that it's as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our sins from us. Psalm 103, verse 12. That's grace and forgiveness. You know, a lot of people struggle with wondering, has God forgiven me? Has God pardoned my sins? Has God taken my sins away? We kind of struggle with that sometimes. And a lot of people really, they stay up at night about this. I don't know for sure whether God's forgiven my sin. Let me tell you, under the terms of the new covenant, you can know for a fact that your sins are forgiven. It's a matter of faith in what God says. Has he told me that my sins are forgiven when I trust in Jesus and obey his gospel? Absolutely, he's told me my sins are forgiven. Then I don't need to wonder. 
I don't need to have a question about that. Has he forgiven me? Have you repented? Have you turned back to God? Are you doing his will? Then yes, forgiveness is yours. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sin no more. The new covenant, it's beautiful. Under the old, there was a constant remembrance of sin. Under the new, because of Jesus and the cross, sins are taken away. They are removed. They're remembered no more. Sometimes you need to see a contrast to appreciate the beauty and value of something. And when the Bible contrasts the old covenant and the new, we ought to sit up and take notice. The new covenant has come to you this morning. You need to obey the terms of this covenant. It's an agreement. God has said, I wanna, I wanna forgive you and I want to know you and I want you to know me even better. God said that to you and he's extended his hand of love and what he wants from you is for you to listen and to accept and to agree and to obey. It's an individual decision. Nobody can make the decision for you. It's an individual choice that you must decide, I wanna be right with God. Jesus has made a way. If we can help you to obey that gospel and become part of the new covenant, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.